Hello everyone and welcome to a special Mount Desolation edition of Beyond the INC. The podcast that will be 40% shorter in the financial year 2012 to 2013. For everyone, of course, except the rich. Yes, that was some satire. Satire. This time on the podcast, we're devoting nearly a full hour to the fruits of Tim and Jesse's drunken one-upmanship. Yes, while Josh Homm once got drunk with a friend and joked about forming the Eagles of Death Metal, Tim and Jesse got drunk in Dublin and decided to form the Eagles of the Eagles. And we've been looking forward to listening to the fruits of their labour. Also on today's show, we'll be talking about what Tom and Richard have been doing and telling all about the band's cricket-themed fundraiser last week. So, prepare to let us ride you bareback as we take you on a country-themed trip beyond the Iron Sea. Beyond the Iron Sea. Okay, so as you know, the long-awaited side project from Tim Rice-Oxley and Jesse Quinn, or as the posters call it, Tim Rice-Oxley and Keane's Jesse Quinn. I don't know if you've seen those posters. I've not seen that, no. Anyway, their album has finally been released this Monday. So... We thought we'd talk about it. Yeah, um, yeah, it finally dropped. I d- I, well, I, I That's don't a bit of an uh, Americanism, isn't it? Yeah, I, well, I don't know if... Um, I know you said Long Awaited is obviously something that I think comes from us, but I think we should probably qualify it as well by saying it's actually quite low-key yeah. in terms of a UK release and that you're not going to see it out front and centre in the new release style. And also this time of year, sort of second, third week of October, is when we're ramping up to the big, you know releases of the year and so you know I, I don't imagine that it's going to be pushed like a keen record would be so just to say that to, to start with that said it'll be interesting to see where it does chart on uh, on sunday given that a lot of keen fans will buy it just on the principle that it's got something to do with someone who's in keen i think we've been we've been recording now for 67 seconds of this segment and already it's got into a fairly boring business conversation so Woo! that's entirely my fault Anyway, and I think we should, yeah. So what we thought we'd do is, as we've done in previous Keen <laughs> Records, actually, uh, break it down track not by track. Not a Keen track. Record, not a Keen Record. True. Okay, so track one, Departure. This is uh, Tim Buckles, so it doesn't actually say in the credits. It's a bit annoying, because I had hoped that when you opened up the credits book, it would tell you exactly who played what on every track and who yeah, wrote the I song. Was... I mean, so we have to assume that whoever sings wrote it, but that is just an assumption. Well, I think I've... I've um... I've worked on that assumption as well. But, I mean, the thing is that if Richard wrote a song for Keane, it would still be credited as written by Keane. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's quite an interesting... Just to talk about the album as a whole, I think it's quite an interesting project um, to start with. The fact that when you think of Tim and all of the, the music that he's released since Keane Breakthrough in 2004, it all has been the same sort of vein of pop, polished pop. Yeah, it's definitely had a sort of keen stamp on it all, I think. Yeah. Definitely. And I think what we've got here for the first time is that now that we've been able to listen to how it actually sounds on the record, um, you know, the lack of synths, it's it's old-fashioned. And, I, you know, we'll return to that theme later, or at least I will. Okay. Um, it sounds like it's made out of wood. <laughs> that's a, Well, that's a nice way of putting it. But the funny thing is, and we, we were just talking about this before we, um, we press record, that... We really should press a record a little bit earlier sometimes, shouldn't we? Well, it's good to get the ideas out, just to, you know, get the two of us thinking. And I think what you were saying, that, you know, they started off with an idea of, you know, going very sort of far back to basics, and they've sort of seeded ground and seeded ground a little bit here and there. You know, sort of little um, 
just little bits here and there that have sort of made it a little bit perhaps away from what they were originally intending, maybe? Well, I was thinking, obviously it was a bit of a folly anyway, so I don't think there was a, a serious oh, plan a folly. behind <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. Now, I, th- what I had in mind was that um, with, um, with the live shows that we went to see to start with when the, sh- the, the songs were being showcased for the first time, what I thought we'd end up with would be quite a rough and ready recording of, um, you know, mates messing around in that sense. Do you know what I mean? Almost a bit like the Halo of Fireflies th- at the end. Yeah, exactly. The mm. um, I, d- I didn't expect it to be completely ragged because we know what Tim's perfectionism is like, but a little bit more like that, which, you know, sort of almost one take yeah. kind of things. And you have to wonder, I think... From what I understand, they they went into a studio, recorded it, and then decided to spend a few more weeks in Tim's house polishing it up. I don't know yeah. if that's exactly how it worked. But, yeah, it does sound like if the polishing hadn't happened, it would be a very different record. The thing is, I think what you've... I assume when you go to work, you're proud of what you do when you're at work. Because I know that certainly I take pride in what I do in huh. my working day, and most people are. And when you've got a a song, in this case, something that's your own sort of creative you know, Genesis. Um, when you're a perfectionist like Tim is, you can want, you know, you you want to just correct this little bit and that's not quite right. And once it's out there, it's out there, you see. So I think what you've ended up with is the mastering for a start with on the CD is too loud. I think you pointed this out. It's Well, n- not the too loud. I would, I'd just be interested in hearing a, a vinyl copy, to be honest, just to see how that sounds because obviously you can't make it as loud otherwise the grooves run into each yeah. other. And it often has a slightly different sound. I'm not. I'm not a vinyl snob in any way, and I've got about three well, we albums on vinyl. Before, um, but, uh, we talked about it before. Perfect Symmetry. Mm. That you know this. Um, we did. And this trend is yeah. kind of worrying, and I thought this would be an ideal chance to you know to hear an album which isn't afflicted in that way. But ultimately, they've sort of they have been polished a little bit to a sheen. Yeah, that, it's it's a major major label release, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So in that respect, maybe we shouldn't be too surprised. And we know Tim is Tim is Tim. Yeah. I have one other niggle before we get onto the uh, the 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 praise that the album deserves. Niggle away. Um, do you kind of think that the album's a little bit front loaded? I hadn't because thought that at all, actually. No. So you you mean that all the best songs are at the start? Um. What I mean is that all the populist numbers are at the start. They've, um, you know, the the big the big numbers that will appeal to many. You know, your Annie Fords, your Departures, you know, Bitter Pill, Annie Ford Departure. You've got all three of those in the first five songs, which are, you know, they're they're probably the most polished, uh, big of the songs on the record. I would say. I think that might be the case, but some of the more interesting ones are near the end. So I mean, we're going to talk yeah, about that, these. That's, um, that's that's really what I mean. That. It would have been interesting to see, seeing as this is, as you said, sort of a little bit of a, you know, it is a side project throwaway release. It would have been interesting mm. to see if the album had been sequenced in such a way that, you know, you, you know, it, it does seem like it's. Actually, I was listening to Ben Folds and Nick Hornby's latest album, where Nick Hornby, the novelist, wrote the lyrics, uh, and that's the opposite. That it seems to start with some slow songs and then kind of work its way up. It, it's got a very unusual track listing. It's not a yeah. sort of typical track listing to me so yeah it's worth a listen it's you know it's something I think we've debated on the podcast before and you know we've um, we'll I'm sure return to it whenever the next uh, Keen album comes out but (laughs) um, I just I always think it's very interesting that the track listing is such an important thing that can make or break a record and that's that's just what I was thinking anyway 
that all said, I think Project, generally, overall, I, I'm very happy with the album. I'm very happy to see it on my CD shelf. Departure then, Chris. So, Departure, I mean, yeah, like, like we are saying, this sort of, I suppose this is the uh, sort of the flagship song for the record. This is country, it's got the fiddle in it, and it's, you know, it's very clearly not keen, it's very clearly Tim singing, it's very ragged, it's and a bit about, it's about the spirit and not about every yeah. note being in exactly the right place. A jaunty little number, and I think it's... It does, you know, it is sort of throwing the kitchen sink at the whole thing. You've got, there's a little, you can hear the sort of the banjo and the... Um, yeah, I, l- I love that banjo. Basically, it's just sort of every every country element thrown in together just to say, right, this is a country track. <laughs> but I mean, it's it uh, to me, it doesn't, you know, it's got all of those elements, but to me, it doesn't really, it doesn't strike me as being an out-and-out country song. No? It's more... You know, it is quite a conventional sort of thing like that. I don't know whether it's, I don't know whether it's just because it hasn't got quite the right twang to the vocals or something, but it still feels to me like it's a conventional song that's been a- arranged like a country number. Mm. But isn't that a good thing though that they didn't put on fake American accents? And well, I mean, we'll get to that yeah. when we get to Annie Ford. But yeah, well, I was thinking more sort of the, the lyrics of Midnight Ghost and stuff like that. Yeah. No, they didn't. They yeah. didn't. Well, they yeah. didn't ape. They didn't ape the genre too much. They've, I think they've kind of. It's an English take on, on American An English country. homage. Yeah. I, well, I think that the only... The, the thing that I, I love about Departure is the way that it rolls along in a... You know, it really sort of gathers a nice momentum. And it's a great way of starting off the record. And a gig. Yeah, definitely. Although, do you remember... I think that it was... Obviously, it was the first song that was played at the very first show they did. Mm. And I remember thinking, oh, Back God, in the days. The, the rhyming of, uh, of the chorus is the only thing that just makes me... Uh, this makes me, you know, sort of twitch a bit. Because I, I don't know about you, but I always think that the rule of having rhyming in a song or in a in a chorus is that you never rhyme the same sound more than either twice or three times is pushing it. Four times. You know um, what? I hadn't even noticed. And that was the very, very first thing. Literally, the first yeah. time I heard the chorus, I was just like, oh, well, that's, that's rhyming the same sound four times. I think we're getting in a bit too deep. Well, it's, uh, you know, that to me is a, a, a big thing, you know. I I don't know, maybe this is the, the you know, the Coldplay songs that I listened to in my youth with Chris Martin's Duff Rhyme schemes. But, um, you know, it just sort of set my teeth on edge a little bit, which is a shame because the rest of the song is a blinder. Definitely. So, should we move on to Annie Ford? Why not? So, yeah, this again, we're presuming this is uh, Jesse's num- number, and I think it is, again, a sort of flagship song. I'm surprised this wasn't the split single, in a way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, you know, the split singles, you know, it shows both sides of the band. Yeah. But, yeah, Annie Ford. Um, I was just saying about, you know, the American accent, I think this is for the first time that you realise that Jesse's got that little Midwestern drawl to his um, to his vocals. Right. Um but is that Jesse or is that, that trying to be country? Well, who knows? Because the, you know, obviously, when we're not familiar with uh, uh, Jesse Quinn on a you know on a major label record in terms of lead vocals, so um, maybe that's just Jesse. Maybe that's why he's so suited to doing this kind of record. But um, something that m- did make me smile actually is that um, the the line about um, the Great West Road, which if you you know in an out country song that sounds perfect. Mm-hmm. And then obviously you realise that's the A4 in West London that runs through <laughs> Hounslow. And um, right, I mean personally, I think if you were picking up a hitchhiking farmer's daughter, um, Heston Services 
on the M4 probably is that a, your recommendation that would be a much better place to, to go and unfortunately Heston services first of all it doesn't quite scan and secondly it doesn't it's, rhyme with well, it well it's it's not quite got that American uh, you know that American country song hmm. feel to it really but I mean that said I don't see this as a country song I see this more as a, a rock song yeah and as well, there's something about it like the having a big instrumental riff with the glockenspiel and everything to me it the song it reminds me most of in a bizarre way is Born to Run. Yeah. It's got that, you know, really sort of arms in the air. Woo! It's an American FM driving re- music, you know? Yeah. And I listened to Born to Run and, and it doesn't sound anything the same. It's no, just, it's, but it's, it's, just, it's got the same kind of it's like, origin, um, maybe? It's I like the Eagles. Maybe. I don't, well, I don't know. People, people can be disparaging about the Eagles, but it's like the Eagles. It's a great song, though. I, and I like the way that the... The lyrics, it's, it's a full set of lyrics, not just a repetitive chorus. And It's the storytelling. And yeah. Do you know, it, we've, it's, we've it's fantastic the way it's done that, because you don't really hear that from Tim's lyrics, because it's just a different style. So to hear a different style on on this kind of record, where Tim is involved in a big way, is, is really interesting. See, we've we've talked to Tim before about how... Do you remember when we, we, we did those interviews for keymusic.com back in... Would have been summer of 2007... Right. If I can take you back then. And um, we chatted to Tim for like literally like two and a half hours or so. Kept and on waiting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, I remember saying to um, to Tim, you know, do you ever feel that you know, you know your, your lyrics aren't specific enough and, you know, your songs suffer as a result? And uh, I remember him nodding a little bit for a while, taking a deep breath and saying, well, that, that's bollocks really, isn't it? But... That takes me neatly onto Bridal Gown because for the first time I feel like this is a a story, a, a story that Tim is telling us. And it doesn't feel autobiographical in a way and that's, I don't mean that in a, again in a bad way but no. it, it feels, I think that's a, a great type of songwriting when you can take someone else's story and tell it. Ben Folds again does that Spring, quite a lot. Springsteen. Yeah, I mean these are... You know, every man's story is not just one particular person's. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the thing is, what you have here is the kind of story that is universal to everyone that they could relate to about that that unrequited. Um, well, not 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 so much unrequited. The uh, taking someone for granted in almost effectively, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's well, it's it's an amazing arrangement to start with. The strings are uh, what sets this track apart, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, this is sort of. I think after hopes and fears, if you ask me what. The next, the second Keen album, what turned out to be under the INC would sound like. I would have guessed it would sound like this, you know, with yeah. the, the sort of string arrangements that we, you know, had in mind for Try Again and things. I, I sort of yeah. imagined this kind of thing in terms of strings. It's almost Nick mm. Drake like in a way, with yeah. that it actually plays a really big part in the track. I think that the vocal, the vocal is superb. I mean, really superb. And it to me seems like a, a waste in a way that you can imagine Tim will go back to... If Tim had taken this song to Keane, it would have been Tom doing the vocal on it. And that's no... I, I Honestly, I, I'm not trying to disparage the way that Tom would have done a huge vocal over it, but the, mm. um, I just think it really suits Tim, and there is a quality to Tim's voice. In the same way that Somewhere Any Wiener wouldn't sound as good with Tim well, exactly. singing. Yeah. And the thing is, what this reveals is that there is that kind of element in the armoury that... Yeah. They really should probably use, you know. Apart from your love, it's it's not been exploited. So yeah, um, I don't want to go too far out on a limb here, and I don't want to talk too much about the song because 
um, it's a song that I really, really love. Um, and I think I've got to say that it's probably the best song that Tim's ever written. <laughs> Don't want to go out on a limb, but... <laughs> well, it's it's my favourite song that Tim's ever written. Really? Me put it that way. I mean, it, it was a bit of a slow burner for me, but that was, you know, when I only heard it live, where it obviously, you know, it doesn't have the atmosphere, it doesn't have the... the sort of precision it has on, on record and you know, the think, delicacy. I think about my other, um, you know, the other favourite songs that he's written, and I, I really love Try Again. Uh-huh. Um... And te- they tend to be songs that have a specific feeling and vibe and yearning within them. And you can see where he, you can literally see where he's coming from. He builds a picture very vividly. And I, th- I think when he's able to press that button and do it w- so well, um, and I think he's absolutely on the top of his game here. Mm-hmm. State of our affairs, Chris. So yeah, this was the split single with departure. Um, the video wasn't exactly how I had imagined it'd be, just playing in a room. It, I mean, it's such a sort of atmospheric track that I would imagine you know, someone like Corin Hardy, who's did the Somewhere Only We Know video and the Bedshirt video, he could do something really sort of dramatic with the video. Yeah. I would have thought because it's such a such a sort of striking track with the you know the pizzicato strings and things. Yeah, it's there is a there is an element of um of melodrama to it that I quite like. Hmm. Um obviously Mount Desolation is uh it, this recurring theme of Mount Desolation that comes up. Well, I mean, it's it's in the lyrics for departure and for, for state of our affairs. So I, I don't know if that's a new theme, you know, with after after Kenan mentioned uh, mentioned Keen in during his rap that they're now going to fit the name of the band into yeah. the all you know at least one song on every album. I'd like to think so. Actually, I've got absolutely no notes against State of Our Affairs because I swear we talked about this before. I think was it. I mean, but there's not much more to say about it than it was always going to be the because it was the first thing that they put out there. It was always going to be the signature sound of the band. Yeah, and it's funny how I don't think that's been reflected in what's actually been released. Do you see what I mean? It in was a bit a bit of a misleading. Well, uh, it's a, you, you say misleading in the set, you know, as if they've tried to deceive Damn us. Those the bastards, desolation people. But no, it's um, it's very interesting, and I think it's it was a funny choice as the first thing to to show us of the in, the album. But I, I, I think this is probably the wrong word, but I see this as Jesse's indulgence. Indulgence not, is not the right word, but I, in the same way, and I, I also see bridal gown as Tim's sort of indulgence in that neither of them are really country, but they are. Songs that just need to be heard, and I think Jesse did yeah. actually say as much himself in an enemy interview. I think it was that he said, you know, mm. it's not a country song, but it's just a good song that he wanted to be heard. Yeah, it's um, it's very, very soulful in that sense, and it could have it could have been recorded in a completely different way, and it would have ended, you know, it would have been a completely different genre. Yeah. Song. Um, but I like the way that it's been recorded, and I think the atmosphere is brilliant, and I think that's something that runs throughout the record. It's very restrained. In a way that you could really kind of rock out with your cock out, but it doesn't. It has, you know, kind of strength and dignity. It's, yeah. it's very, very, uh, yeah. Um, Good work, guys. <laughs> well, it's funny enough that something you said there provides the perfect link into the, the next song on the, the record. That there were songs that weren't really country, but they, uh, they ended up on the record anyway. Okay. And uh, that takes us to Bitter Pill, which... This is basically a keen song. Yeah, uh, there's no denying it. If you go on Keen Shit, which I have, 
woefully neglected for two years. It's mentioned there as a, a sort of so, a song. Social services have actually come and taken Keen Shaped away from Chris. It's, it's, it's really getting it's close. Being, if um, any, if anyone looked cares after about by it, a foster I'm, family from Acton at the moment. If anyone cares about Keen Shaped, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so this is this. We know this is an old Keen yeah, song, and it really sounds like it. It sounds like I, I don't know where it would fit in the Keen in the Keen pecking order is it a B-side is it a weak album track is it a medium album See, track it's not it's it's not a Keen single is it what you've ended up with here is sort of a, a Keen song covered by Mount Desolation in that it's it, you know it, it doesn't fit in with the rest of the, the project I, lo- I love the song I think it's a, I think it's a very well written it's a classic it's a classic Tim um, melancholic rocker if you see what I mean yeah um but the funny thing is that I can't imagine how, how Keen would have done it which is probably why it's ended up on this record because Having having Jessica's um, backing vocals um, on it, you know, it's it's all about the backing vocals and the strength of those against him, against Tim's lead vocals. Yeah, well, I, I think so. It's it's funny that I mean, perhaps the thought here was that the album needed another one of those sort of you know rockers that you know. If I don't know if you've heard any of the other songs that were recorded, you know, for this, you know, like the bonus tracks, but maybe they just felt that one of those wouldn't quite be right and they needed something a bit more upbeat and this would go in or you know I don't know I don't, who knows what the thought process or maybe it was, was you know so seen as, as a bridge in the gap between Keen and Vant Desolation yeah and the fact that it's the US single I think it's a bit unusual but there we go yeah but it, yeah it'll, it'll help them find an audience not a bad song sense. but I mean, actually what I was going to say is uh, live when I first heard it live the way that Jesse picks the intro. It sounded almost kind of electronic, and it re- that was the song that I said to him reminded me of the Killers. Yeah, and so I mean, it could quite easily have been done in a in a different way. If I thought it sounded like the Killers, and it's a country record, so you could you could have stuck out, it slightly out of place. You could stuck a massive eighty synth on it, and it would have been fine as would, well. Yeah, I'm sure Tim knows that being the king of massive eighty <laughs> synths. He's probably got demos at home with massive eighty synths all over it, and he's you know just can't make it fit. That's gone break into his house. What? Another night on my side. <laughs> this is beautiful, isn't it? This is this is what the record is all about. This is what I wanted to hear. This is for me one of the standout tracks. This is, yeah, this, this is, is it. Um, the very uh, again taking us back to that first gig, um, we came away from that show, and I think my favourite song coming out of that show was "My My My." Uh huh. Um, probably because I think I couldn't remember the earlier songs by the time we got to the end. <laughs> short term memory, terrible short term memory, but. Um, Another night on my side, I remember you coming out of that and saying, I love the one that begins Little Valentine. Yeah. And um, I think this is, you know, the only real sort of genuine proper duet of the record. Yeah. There's lots of harmonies all over the album, but this is the, the only proper duet. It's the only one with two lead vocals, yeah. That's, that's A proper showcase of uh, Jessica Stavely-Taylor. Very nice vocals indeed. Um, And also the recording of it is, is really kind of faithful. I remember... Je- Tim saying somewhere that Jesse had spent ages trying to make the drums sound like Fleetwood Mac and mm. if you listen to sort of the intro and then compare it to something like is it Dreams by Fleetwood Mac? I'm trying yeah. To... It, it, he's got that sound you know spot on. It really it, that that classic sound and not the sort of polished modern sound that we're used to really really fits the, the song. It has a timeless quality to it yeah, almost definitely. in a way. Um, it reminds me of um you make loving fun or um, or dreams. Yeah, definitely something kind of off room. It's it's um it's definitely yeah. It sounds like the drums could have been taken from rumors. It's that drum sound. Um, 
it's funny actually that when um just after Tim had come back from his road trip in America when, you know, he'd been obviously thinking about this record and he went to saw John Roderick and all that sort of thing. And I remember him being over at the house and do you remember um when we were doing the recording at Christmas? Uh-huh. And we got talking about rumours then and he was saying about how you know, how much he loved the record. Uh-huh. And um I can definitely see that there there is a bit of a, a Mac influence in the way that they've used um Jessica Stapley Taylor and you know, the the recording of some of the drum sounds as well. Great song and great production, that's the thing. Yeah, and it's I like the way that the, the sound is stripped back to really let the beauty of um Jesse and Jess's vocals come through. Uh-huh. Um Yeah. Great song. Lovely. So the Midnight Ghost then, next track. I I can imagine this song being the least popular with most people. I'm gonna put that out there straight away. Yeah? I think it's a much more demanding listen than the rest of the record because it drops the pace mm-hmm. and it has it has a perfect Western vibe, wouldn't you say? I've actually played the album today in in the office and this is the one where people kinda of looked up and, you know, were playing air drums and this is one that kind of perked up most about actually and thought and you know, I, I mentioned this is you know this is the guy from Keenan. They went, all oh, right, fair play to him because he's done a good job at, it, at actually <laughs> being this faithful to it, yeah. and it, that he's not just you know that he has actually got genuine interest and passion for a different genre. Yeah, definitely. And that's kind of I think that really comes through on this track particularly. Mm. Well, I think that's why when it com- I think that's why the people who are used to the very straightforward Keen songs yeah. that deliver them a three-minute pop song with a sing-along chorus, they're going to find this a bit of more of a a listen, if you see what I mean. Yeah. But there's plenty in here to really enjoy. Yeah. The one thing I, I wasn't sure about when I first heard it were the, the lyrics, you know, name-checking all the states. Mm. No, well, let me... Funnily enough, I've made some... Uh, I've got... I've made some notes about that here, because... Is it that's about funny English places that you would put in? What, like Wire Piddle, or... Or Com- Compton Dando, or... <laughs> or Morton Valentine. I can carry on naming villages from the West Country all day. Um, no, the, the point I was going to make was that the, the name-dropping of states and locations in America is not the cynical ploy, I think, that some people would have it as, because the song is about a train that A night train. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a train. It goes from place to place. So yeah. if you want to really reference that... And build a song around it. You're going to have to name some places. Yeah, um, I really like it. Um, yeah, but I think that's why it could be seen as being cheesy because you know the easy way to make something sound country is just to name a lot of American towns. See what I mean? But then See where the, I'm coming from? Yeah, but I, I I think in the context of the the you remember the, the aforementioned road trip uh-huh. and the genesis of the record. Um, it's just that you can imagine that to get that sense of travelling if you're going to do a song about a train to get the sense of travelling the best way of doing it is to name places okay we're just repeating ourselves now so I think we should uh, have you got anything else to say about the Midnight Ghost um, apart from it being in quotes on, in the title well yeah I didn't like that the either the Midnight but I mean, Ghost I'm pretty angry with you so let's move on Platform 7 Platform 7 brilliant I mean, th- th- this is sort of the country trilogy, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, isn't it? that's a really good way of, of doing it because I think this is the this is the album's big old hoedown. <laughs> you know, pick a partner. Um, it'd be great actually if people could just people could properly dance to this at gigs. You know, partner check shirt and uh, grab a partner. Yeah. You can dance without a check shirt, but yeah, that it would be nice because you never see people dancing properly at gigs these days. There just isn't the room. Well, yeah, that's true. I don't dance anyway. 
<laughs> but um, yeah, this, this is uh, this is definitely sort of the fastest and most upbeat song, and, yeah. and probably more what I imagined the album would be like. These three songs are kind of well representative of the uh, the sort of three speeds, I guess. You know, the, the sort of ballads, the the bluesy one, and then and then the hot down. Yeah, but. I've got a note in my margins here which just says I wish there had been another number along these lines yeah. and I, th- I think it's when I think it's quite hard to write upbeat songs so it's easy to you know, eat and slightly easier to write ballads I think maybe I mean it's Depends yeah obviously it. it's difficult to you know who knows how difficult it was to put the album together and I feel kind of like we're we can't really talk how churlish are we um, it just you know I like this song and uh, you know I like to have more of things I like so more cutting depth analysis there from Beyond the Iron Sea. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think this is the uh, the track where you've got the most people involved? Because there's loads of backing vocals going on. and I think so. I mean, it's really frustrating that the credits aren't all in there. It's just, you know, especially since it does sound like, you know, they just invited, I don't know, some some people from other bands they like to come down and play on a song or two. But we don't know what songs they are. I can imagine this, you know, you've probably got the dustbin lids in there and, uh, you know... We're get, I'm going to have to listen to it again. This is why I want it on vinyl because I think that probably comes through a bit more clearly. Yeah, maybe. definitely. Well, it's it's the kind of album that you really should own on vinyl, I think, and yet it's not yeah. out. So, should we start a petition? Maybe it is out. And we're going to look really ignorant. Well, I don't think it is. Or, well, I've not seen it. I've not seen it advertised anywhere. But it's the kind of thing where maybe they're not expecting to sell enough yeah. to justify a vinyl release. But I, I typed "Man Desolation" twelve inch to Google, but there's nothing. So. Mm. Um. You got plenty of other things though, didn't you, Chris? Yeah. Um, my, my, my. Uh, Do you want to talk about this one? Yeah. Well, I really like the atmosphere of this. I think it's the atmosphere is really important across the record. And yeah. Tim's a big fan of vibe. And this, this really does feel like a you know one man on his porch with a guitar, singing his blues. I mean, live, I remember the first time Jesse played it, he said this was a difficult one to play and he was, you know, like, to fuck it up. And you were kind of held your breath all, all the way through the song. And I think that transfers onto record as well, that it does kind of, it has got kind of that tension. It doesn't feel boring. It, yeah. ha- it does feel like a live recording that, it, you know, it could could slip over at any moment. Yeah, definitely. And, and that ricks it really honest. Well, I think um, I think Jess, uh, uh, Jessica Stavey-Taylor, when she comes in... Um, it's absolutely breathtaking. Just the there's a fantastic vocal throughout the middle section of the song. I think the the interlude of uh, just uh, Jessica's vocals is so good. Um, hmm. It you know it sort of keeps the tension going despite the break in the the lead vocal. Hmm. Um, and you picked up on this that metronomic sound. It's like sounds like yeah, a clock or a metronome, right? foot tapping or you know time passing. Yeah, there's some uh, some strange things. This tankard is one of the instruments uh, Jesse plays. <laughs> so maybe I don't know. Maybe it was someone banging something in time in the control room, and they thought it sounded good. Who knows? Wasn't there? A, I may have imagined this, but Tim was telling some story where they each had their own tankard at the Regent, at the you know I'm the pub sure. near the studio, and they all had their own right. tankards, and um, they got to keep they got to keep them or something. So maybe maybe it's those. Uh, maybe maybe maybe. Um, so, onward to the last track, Coming Home. Well, the last two tracks, te- technically, because there's a cover in there at the end. But, first of all, Coming Home. Well, c- Coming Home is a very gentle start, and it seems to stretch on like a, a beautiful day. That 
it twinkles to start with with that lovely piano intro mm. and then you've got the vocal gymnastics of uh, of Jessica backing Tim uh-huh. and then do you f- uh, that, there's a beautiful melancholy to the outro yeah I, it feels very kind of outdoorsy in, in the sort of the this sort of slightly syncopated piano tw- uh, twinkling sounds like a sort of reflection on a lake or something. Are we getting a bit sort of on art here? Oh, I, I was thinking exactly the same thing. Welcome to Sood's Corner. But, it, you know, it does sound like a, a f- the most philosophical of the tracks on the album. Yeah. In in, in some of the lyrics as well. Like, I, I, don't know if, I didn't know if that was contentious that, you know, some people are born into luck and some people aren't. There's nothing that'll ever change that, is the I, sentiment. Something that I was thinking about was that Let's consider, let's consider Tim's career that he is not thirty-five yet, and yet he is probably one of the the foremost songwriters of his generation in terms of success of songs, you know, of, of records sold, okay. and of the fact that he would be in demand wherever, and he's achieved all of that within within a decade. That yeah, ten years ago he was fresh out of UCL, and now he's where he is. And yet, you can imagine he could see... Where's Jesse? <laughs> well, or, or, you know, even even more simple, you know, say his parents, who mm. will have had to have worked a lifetime to get to where they are now. And when you consider it as a meditation upon that, yeah, that really there's a very thin line between it, and it's you just have to jump on board and hope you'll find your reward. Yeah. Which, it could be a really... Terrible trite lyric in the hands of someone who was less skilled, and yet I think it comes across really well. It is optimistic, then. Um, optimistic or melancholic? Both. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just. Come on, stick your neck out. You got to shrug your shoulders and just say that life is what it is. You know, you just got to you know work hard at it and see what happens because you know. Hmm. So musically, the song, it's I think it's a bit extended when they play it live, isn't it? Because it's sort of five minutes on record, but it, yeah, I think it's a bit longer in, uh, in I was concert. thinking, actually, that in, um, in concert, if it were the last song of the main set, you could start off in the way that they do, and then they could slowly have the band leave the stage until it's just the two vocalists together at the end, and then you could leave and have Tim you know, doing the bit on his own, and wouldn't that look nice? We should be creative directors, shouldn't we? Yeah. The Brian Friedman of, of Mount Desolation. What a bunch of twats we are. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, sorry, what, what, what were we doing? I think we were just about to talk about Halo of Fireflies. Yeah, this is, now this is exactly the vibe that I wanted for the whole of the record. Um, well, <laughs> they got it right in the end. <laughs> Well, no, not that I wanted, but I thought it would be awesome if it was like that. I, you know, I, li- I like the atmosphere of the record generally. Um, anyway, but I just love the thrown together, half-assed nature of the, you know, just like the it chatting away like, on top of the, the, you know. It sounds like people were sitting and lying back in these chairs and then this, they put a microphone in the middle of the room and then someone switched it on. Well, it so- sounds like a, you know, it was probably, could be com- around a campfire or... It probably com- Perfectly scripted, but it didn't sound like it. Well, yeah, it probably was. But still, the fact that it's 
the fact that it's come across like this, we'll never know. And to be mm. honest, who cares? I mean, it's. I'd love to know which violinist played the fiddle solo because that's that's a great solo. Yeah, yeah. Um. I just, uh, I th- I think it's it's nice that Jesse got one of his um, pre Mount Desolation songs on there because what I was saying before in that. It's nice that this is going to bring Jesse's songwriting to a, a greater audience than he'd previously been, a, been able to find with his own, you know, work with the Mets. Because, I mean, as you're saying, Tim is, is a highly accomplished songwriter, but he sort of meets the standard easily. Exactly, it's, yeah. It's you wouldn't like say, oh, it's, God, it's, here are five great Tim songs, and here's oh, five slightly inferior Jesse songs. Or, you know, it could have been worse. It could have been eight Tim songs and two Jesse songs, but it's not like that at all. It's a, it's a definite partnership. And he, there are plenty of people who prefer Jesse's songs overall. Yeah, definitely. Um... I'm quite, you know, I'm glad in that respect because I think I've, well, I, I never saw Jesse play with the Mets. No, me neither. Um, well, I, th- I think we always felt it was there was something slightly strange about going along to, um, you know, to see someone show who we probably would never have had come to our attention if he wasn't playing with Keane, if you see what I mean. You know what, at the Mad Desolation gig at the Scala, which um, was great actually, you you unfortunately weren't there, but yeah. uh, I was standing next to someone and then Jesse walked past and, and she... Uh, hugged Jesse and then I, I kind of felt like you know at a wedding when you see the other person's family and you think should I strike up a conversation with them because I kn- <laughs> you know but they're on the other side the family so it felt like that that you know two sort of sets of fans had oh, come yeah, together yeah. in a sort of strange way that's just a little story there by the by <laughs> I think it it works I mean whenever we do these sorts of um, sorts of reviews basically because we we generally like what we're listening to what we end up doing is saying about the things that we don't like rather than saying you know god I really like that we take for, that. yeah obviously it, it goes without saying that the rest of it's brilliant because it's you know Tim basically if we haven't if we haven't mentioned anything that's because um, we like it yeah generally speaking I think the the main thing to take away from this is that because of the fact that you've taken away the the 80 synths and things that Tim was using with Keen and has used with the other artists he's worked with. Partly out of necessity with there only being the three of them rather than the yeah. you know the huge cast of whoever they want with whatever instrument they want. And they've replaced them with harmonies and backing vocals and there's such a more human feel to this. It's a record to be played live much more than the Keen stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I would like to think that there is something to be taken from this to go back into the fourth Keen record proper. That some, you know, flavour of this might end up in Keen, or I think that's inevitable to be honest. Because every time Tim's done things, you know, whether it's been working with Gwen Stefani or whoever, I think he has sort of brought things back. And it's obviously particularly noticeable, even with doing a cover of Under Pressure, that you know, doing one cover of one song could influence pretty much influence the whole sound of of, of the next album, Perfect Symmetry. So yeah. I, I do really think that we will see, you know, maybe even live strings. Obviously, the last, you know, obviously Perfect Symmetry had some live strings on it. But if we have sort of the depth and the te- texture, providing it works with Tom's vocals. But, you know, I could I could see having this sort of uh, the thick uh, layer that we see in Bridal Gown in, in some Keen songs in future. Yeah. Good stopgap then. It's more than a stopgap. It's a great album in its own right. From it's not a, a keen stopgap. It's just a, a debut album by Mount Desolation. Yeah, I think that's a great way of describing it. And I, I hope that it finds, I hope it finds its audience, not just people who like Keen who who mm. who need something to you know 
keep them going until the next record comes out. But people who genuinely appreciate the songs for the quality of them and not just because it's mm. by Mr. T. Rice Oxley. Yeah, exactly. What do you see for the future of Mount Desolation then? Do you see album number two? Do you see more touring? Do you think it'll grow? Or will it return with the same cast or a different cast? Or how, how do you see things panning out? I can see Mount Desolation 2 in a few years' time. The fun thing about this, it's like going on holiday in that you can't go... It, everybody says it would be great to be, you know, wouldn't it be great to... People, When people come back from holiday, they always say, oh, I could really do with another holiday now. That was brilliant. But when they actually think about it, if they went straight back on holiday then, they really need to get back into their everyday life, into what they've been doing before, into what they love doing, which makes them appreciate the extra things that they do for enjoyment on the side do you see where I'm coming from I think that yeah I think so you know perhaps there might be a couple more shows with Mount Desolation it'd be really nice um but I I can't see that it's going to be a something that would you know supplant Keen as the main thing that Tim does unless of course you know one day Keen decide to retire and that leaves Tim to his own devices again so I suppose it's something nice to always have you know when I guess Every time he's writing songs, as he frequently does, if he picks one that doesn't sound like Keen, he's got somewhere else to, for, it, for it to go now. Yeah. But it's, yeah, as I said, it's good that there are two separate entities, Map Desolation and Keen, and I hope that they both basically find their, their own audience. Beyond the so as we promised on the Twitter, here's a short roundup of what's been going on during Keen's hiatus. Well, the band came out of hibernation last week for Richard to record a Q&A session with the official website. Gave you a bit of a shout-out there. I noticed, yeah. Thanks, Richard. And uh, to host a fundraiser for Rwanda Aid, which of course is run by Tom's father. Now, it was ostensibly to celebrate the England team heading off to Australia, where they're going to retain the ashes. Um, it was sort of a black tie fundraiser type event, um, I think. Well, the thing is, because I, I, I didn't go and I kind of I kind of regret not going, but... Um, you know, you know how big a fan I am of cricket. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't. Um, but unfortunately, I couldn't make it. Um, but it's, it's it sounded really good. I must yeah, admit. yeah. So Keen played a few songs alongside uh, to Graham Swan's band, and uh, loads of money was raised. I think it's one of those things where they only let you in if you have you know a six-figure bank account. <laughs> that was and the other reason why I wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, th- apparently thousands were being bid on for a variety of uh, auction lots. I think. Um, or was it someone said £30,000 for a game of golf with Tom and Lee Westwood? Bargain. Which was won by Lee Westwood, but they didn't explain exactly what the deal with that was, so I don't know. But yeah, um, we've got a treat from uh, from the show. We have indeed, thanks to the wonders of YouTube. Uh, here's a little clip of Keen covering Hey Jude, which uh, we have shamelessly ripped off YouTube, so thank you very much, Gene. Hey Jude! So yeah, most intriguingly, um, I was told by someone who was there that there was a dinner with Tom and a chance to listen to the new album early next year. Now, well, I think the bidding for that went to about £5,000 or so, so it's slightly outside of my budget. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, the reason we, that I guess you're mentioning that is that it gives you a bit of an idea where the band are with the album right now. I mean, they wouldn't be putting up an auction for 2011. Well, I guess whoever it is thing just said, well, you know, it'll be a little later. It'll be a little later. But it does give you an idea that there is, you know, a concrete plan for an album, which I think some people were worried about. And it also may be to the point where there's perhaps more stuff recorded than one might think. Yeah, I mean, Tim's got his studio, which obviously is good enough quality to use for Mount Desolation well, records. Yeah. So. Well, considering we were complaining that the quality's maybe too good. So, yeah, it's. Yeah. Um, I think there might be a surprise in store for some people. Yeah, definitely very interesting. So, yeah, Tom off raising money for the needy. Quick update on Richard, why not? Well, I think he's been at home fuming quietly about the state of politics in the Western world, um, as well he might. Um, but I think he's also... Um, he also said on the Twitter that he's been helping Amnesty International. Um, he was down in Crystal Palace last week, um, launching a new information pack for schools, which is a, a good course. And that's, uh, I don't want to be patronising, but that's, uh, that's good work, Richard. Yep, and that's all our Keen-related news for this time. So there we have it. Uh, Mount Tessellation. Yeehaw. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward laughter. Yeah, so th- anyway, thanks for tuning in. And do remember to get out there and give the record a listen for yourselves. It- it's not keen, so it might not be for you, but maybe you'll like it anyway. And, you know, if you don't, play Tim's songs on a really poor quality sound system and fool yourself into thinking that it's actually a collection of keen demos instead. Mm. Quick mention of the Twitter, which is, as always, still at twitter.com slash beyondinc, not the. And our email address is mailbox at beyondtheinc.com. But that is it from us. Until next time, goodbye.